Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this book of Philippians that we've just been going through. And Lord, as we go into chapter 2 this morning, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. You are the one that changes us from the inside out. And so, Lord, we, we surrender to you. We ask for you to work in our hearts, even as we listen to the message. But Lord, we pray that we not only be hearers of the word, but we would be doers of it. So that we would practice these things in our lives by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm going to be reading from the book of Philippians today, chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. That's right, we're just going to focus on four verses this morning. And I've titled this message, Looking Out for Number One. I'm going to start out with a story. And the story says, One day a man walked into a dentist's office and asked how much it would cost to extract wisdom teeth. And Dennis said, oh, $80. The man said, that's ridiculous. Isn't there a cheaper way? Dennis says, well, if I don't use anesthesia, I can knock it down to 60 That's still too expensive, the man says. And Dennis said, well, I tell you what, if I save on an anesthesia and I simply rip the teeth out with a pair of pliers, I could get away with $20. Nope, still too much. Dennis scratches his head. He says, well, if I let one of my students do it for the experience, I suppose I could charge you just $10. Marvelous, said the man. Book my wife for next Tuesday. Ouch. <laughs> Ouch. Unbelievable, right? Selfishness causes us more grief than we ever imagined. It's so natural to us that most of the time we don't even realize when we're being selfish. It leaves a mark on most of our thoughts, our feelings, and decisions, and it poisons our relationships with others. It also keeps the church from being in unity and carrying out the mission that God has given us. Our focus this morning is that genuine love for Christ moves us to genuinely love one another. I want to talk a little bit about the context before we get into the message um, commitment to and enthusiasm for the gospel of Christ is the theme of this book, which runs throughout this entire book. Philippians 1, chapter 1, verse 27, calls Christians to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. And the issue at the end of Philippians 1, as, as Pastor Nathan touched on last, last week, is how we relate to those outside the faith who are attacking us. Well, at the beginning of chapter 2, the concern is how do we relate to one another in the family of God? How do we maintain a strong unity with one another? And how do we live humbly before one another? Now let's read the Scripture together, starting with verse 1 of chapter 2. If you have any encouragement from being united in Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. This is the Word of God. My first point this morning is that God intends for us to get a lot out of our relationship with Christ. Paul isn't saying if you have any encouragement in Christ. And, and, and I'm not sure that you do. Rather, he is certain that they do. 
And the if is simply a rhetorical way of forcefully saying, since you have encouragement in Christ, since you have comfort provided by his love, since you have fellowship with the Spirit, and since you have affection and mercy. Paul, Paul mentions these things in a manner which suggests to us that we should all, this should all be an obvious part of a Christian's experience. Being united with Christ. Next point is being united with Christ gives us encouragement. Being united in Christ is, is to be saved and to be in a personal relationship with Him. Our relationship with God, with Christ, changes our destiny. It provides us with a purpose for living. Amen? And it gives us favor with God. Now that's encouraging. But how about this? If God is for us, who can be against us? How about this? This is in the book of Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Another word. The Lord says, I will never leave you or forsake you. In Jesus' words, in this world you will have problems, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, brothers and sisters, that's encouragement. Another thing that, God, that Christ does is God, Christ's love brings us comfort. There's a special comfort from God's love in Christ, demonstrated especially in Christ's death for the forgiveness of sins, which we remembered last Sunday as we took communion together. My next point is in Christ, we're able to experience fellowship with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, along with God's tension. There is a magical connection with other believers produced by the Spirit who indwells each one of them. I don't know about you, but when you meet a believer in another part of the world and you find out that that person's a Christian, there's just this automatic connection. It's like we're family. We're family and we know that. And then there's God's tenders, tender mercies. God surrounding us with the warmth of His affection. So my question to you this morning is this. Are you experiencing these benefits from your relationship with Christ? I, I hope you are. Maybe in being reminded of them now, you smile and you feel good about them. But many of us need to admit that maybe that we haven't thanked God for them in a while. Instead, maybe we've taken them for granted and even we've grumbled or complained about the things we think that God should be giving us right now, but He hasn't. We read John chapter 15 in Wednesday night prayer and I asked a question about what God is doing or what God is purging or pruning out of your life. And Sister Julia Nuha shared a testimony. It was really powerful. She said God was impressing upon her how much God has given and provided for them as a family. She said that, that, that they, God was telling them they shouldn't be grumbling or complaining, but rather they should be thankful telling others about Jesus and sharing with those in need. Praise the Lord, somebody. In the same way, we have a, have a habit of, of doing this in our relationships with each other. So instead of recognizing the good qualities in each other, and we have a tendency of focusing on what's wrong with the other person. If you can't say amen, say ouch. We, we tend to focus on the, the things that annoy us about the other person or, or that we disagree about. Guys, in August of this year, I'm going to celebrate 27 years of marriage with my wife, Mary Ellen. And I, I just thank the Lord for her because... 
It's 27 years of the same jokes. I mean, my wife is like, do you have any new jokes? You know, so I just thank the Lord for my wife. But I, I have to tell you, early on in a relationship, we, we, we would, my wife knows my strengths and she knows my weaknesses. And we just had a habit early on of, of just focusing on the things that, 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 that we didn't like about the other person. And now, you know, we just thank the Lord for each other every day. You know, we thank the Lord for giving us 27 years together. I can't, I can't believe it. So I'm just so thankful for, for my wife. And I give her a shout out this morning. And uh, by God's grace, he will help us to focus on the good things and, and, and build one another up versus tear one another down. Verses 3 and 4, I'm going to read again. It says, Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. The next point is that what we get out of a relationship with Jesus Christ should impact what we put into our relationship with others. You know, Paul has great joy when he thinks about Philippians in, in chapter 4 verse 1 he talks about that joy and so so he he wants them to make his joy complete he says let there be absolutely no room for anything but joy in his thoughts of them and they can do this by being in unity with one another there there are three commands in these verses that specify what it means to live in humility and unity with one another the first has to do with how we think the second has to do with how we act. And then the third has to do with an under, the underlying attitude that supports all of our behavior, behavior, and that is humble-heartedness. I'm going to talk about that word just a little bit. The benefits we receive from our relationship with Christ are intended to move us towards unity, towards one another in the church. Now, that doesn't mean that, that Paul wants the Philippians to hold the, to exactly the same opinion on every issue. That, that'd be ridiculous. Instead, it's a call for the church to focus on what we have in common with, in Christ and their relationship bound up together in Him. The following phrases, verse 2, having the same love, being united in one spirit, and having one purpose are virtually synonymous and they're piling up on top of one another is Paul's way of emphasizing the Philippians, their need for genuine unity. In the same way, we don't have to agree on everything here at UBC, but we do need to learn how to disagree agreeably and at the same time continue to grow in relationship with one another. You know, I've been talking to my pastor's group about COVID-19 and preparing to reopening our churches. And one of my brothers shared something with me. This week that was powerful. He says, you know what? You have three groups in your church. The first group is ready to meet right now. If you gave them the word that the church was open, they would be there tomorrow. And you know who you are. Some of you have told me. But there's a second group. And he says that second group is much more hesitant. And, and they're, 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 they're going to come back a little slower. They want to make sure all the things have been checked out and want to know what the church has done to prepare. But then, you know, there's a third group as well. And, and one of our people made me aware of that third group. He says, you know what? My wife's not coming back for a while. 
I've got some people that said, you know what, I'm going to continue to do online. I'm going to continue to give to the church, but I'm going to wait out a while. And the reason I share about those three groups is there's three different points of view, and none of them are wrong. We, and and we, need to, we need to be at peace with one another about that. I know some of you are struggling to, to wait and struggling with the governing authorities, and, and we're praying for that. But we got to stay in unity in the midst of that. I also want to thank Pastor Nathan Carter uh, for his message last week. He gave some wonderful exhortations at the end of the, of the message. and he, These are some of the things that he said, and, and I want to reiterate to you. He said, stay in unity. He said, stay united together in Christ. And then he challenged you guys, he said, keep up your relationships together. That means make the phone calls, stay in touch, keep up your commitments. Don't fall off and don't isolate. And I, even as I say that, I want to challenge some of you. Because some of you have isolated. Some of you have fallen off. And I want to encourage you to come on back. We miss you. We've been reaching out to you. We've been texting, calling you. So come on back to the flock. I'm going to move on. Nothing is diametrically opposed to unity and being one in spirit and purpose than selfishness and seeking one's own interest. The two attitudes, unity and selfishness, they can't coexist. One has to give way to the other. Let me give you an example. You ever see young kids act this way? If I like it, it's mine. If I had it in my hand, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it a little while ago, it's mine. If it is mine, it may never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing something or building something, all the pieces I need are mine. If it just looks like it's mine, it's mine. If you're playing with something and you put it down, it automatically becomes mine. If it's broken, well, then it's yours. (laughs) Young kids act this way, don't they? But you know what? Unfortunately, so do adults. And we we see that, don't we? And if you can't say amen, say out, brothers and sisters. The the term selfish ambition denotes an ugly quality, which has left a train of misery in its wake over the centuries. This one desire has led to the slaying of innocent people, the brutal dictatorships, the hatred for God and fellow man, the divorce, corruption, and a host of other ills equally disastrous. Apart from Christ... It can never be overcome in human beings. I want to say that again. Apart from Christ, it can never be overcome in human beings. But selfishness can also be found in the church in different ways. I'm going to give you some examples. Some of us serve in ministry because we need to be needed. Some of us serve in ministry because of that, not... We're supposed to serve out an attitude of gratitude group, but some of us serve because we need to be needed. Some of us, next, I'll give another one. Some of us use, men, use the ministry of exhortation with no concern on how we damage people with it. Some of us do this so that we don't have to deal with our own issues. Next one. Some of us don't speak the truth because we're self-protective and more concerned about staying out of conflict than helping a person that needs to hear the truth. Brothers and sisters, that was one of my struggles. I'll bring that to you right now. That's something I struggle with. I don't like conflict. Then lastly, 
Some of us get married with the focus on what's in it for me. <laughs> I can't say amen, say ouch. We've all been there. So these are just some examples of selfishness in the church. I want to get back to that, that lowliness of nine verse and lowliness of mind. In, in New King's Version, it says lowliness of mind instead of humility. Lowliness of mind. Think about that. Who would want lowliness of mind? A lowly or humble person meant a slave. And by Paul recommending lowliness of mind, he was actually firing a shot directly at the Philippian court culture and also our own when we think about it. Like us, the Greeks and Romans exalted lifestyles of the rich and famous. And the idea of humility seemed out of place in, in Philippi. Unlike other conquered towns, it enjoyed the law of Italy and made itself a sort of su small, self-governing version of the Roman Empire. So pride and self-importance were part of the Philippi Philippine life in Paul's day. And Paul is saying, no more. Now that you're believers, no more. And as I said, in the U.S., we think about ourselves. Think about what we stand for. Money. Greed, if we're honest. Financial prosperity. Economic power. Sports, leisure. Long life. You know, all these things. As I said, those are good things, but we pride ourselves in those things. And God has humbled, greatly humbled our nation. In the same way, Paul is insisting that Christians... In Philippi, that they cultivate humility to develop humility. And biblical humility doesn't mean what we think too highly of ourselves, but instead acknowledges who we are with our strengths and our weaknesses. And lastly, humility leads to unity. Let's touch lastly on verse 3 one more time. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Our relationship with Christ can move us from self-conceit to humility. The New Living Version says, don't live to make a good impression on others. Often we as a people compare ourselves to others, and, and a couple things can happen when we do that. We can use it as an excuse of our own behavior, or, we can, or it builds up our pride. We end up thinking, well, what I did wasn't so bad. After all, look at what that person did. Or we can end up thinking the worst of people and quickly rush to judgment towards them, even though we don't really know them. This is dangerous stuff. Paul says instead we should, in humility, assume that others are better than we are. You get that? Better than we are. How often do we do that? Giving them the benefit of the doubt. And by doing this, we can build, we build others up and we develop that humility. Humility, I'm going to talk about that for a minute. Humility allows us to step in the other person's shoes, to see life from their perspective, and to take their interests to heart. To be humble, we have to care enough to ask questions than making judgments. I remember this document that Pastor Allen gave me called Go Seeking Understanding. And just talked about going in with an open attitude when you have a conflict with somebody. You might know the actions, but you don't know the motives. And to go asking questions so that you can get to the heart of the matter. But assume innocence before guilt. Pride is the opposite of humility. You know, on the other hand, it gets in the way. Proverbs 13, verse 10 says, pride breeds only quarrels. Why? Because pride says, I don't need to listen to you. I already know the answer. 
I know what you did, and I know why you did it. Humility, on the other hand, says means I'll stop assuming that I'm right and that others are wrong. It means I'm open, that I'm teachable, and that I'm willing to listen. I want you to listen to what I'm saying because this is deep, deep stuff. I remember um, one of my favorite shows was Happy Days. And I remember one of my favorite characters were, 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 was Fonz. And uh, Fonzie, in one episode of, of Happy Days, uh, he messed up. And he had to admit that he was wrong. And, and it was hilarious watching him try to say it. I mean, he, he just couldn't get the words out. I remember Fonzie's like, he admitted, he tried to get it. He said, yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was, he could say, I was wrong. You know, it was hilarious. But we have to be able to say, hey, I was wrong. Please forgive me. You know, you can see the action, but you can't assume the motive. We don't know the motive in other people's hearts. Last verse, I'm preparing to close. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And Paul is saying, what are other people's interests? What are their needs? What do they feel? What does look, life look like from their point of view? Take the time to get in their shoes, to feel their hurt, to take on their burdens, and the baggage that comes with all their years of experience. I remember Pastor Allen, when he was talking about our church, he, he would often say, what, what's, what's the greatest strength of our church? And he, he t- the, diversity, the diversity, diversity in the church. And then if you would ask him, what is the greatest challenge of our church? He would say the diversity. And we, he had a scripture that he would quote, and don't look this up because it's not there, but Second, Second Hezekiah, the book of Second Hezekiah. He said, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be broken. And so this is a church where you have to be flexible. So you have people from different socioeconomic groups, people from different racial groups. They're all across the board and trying to minister to all of them. So Paul is saying, coming back to Paul, he says, what are others' interest? We've got to look at those things. How, and then how do we consider others better than ourselves? Well, we do that in, by intentionally looking for things to appreciate in others and complimenting them on those things. I want to talk briefly about criticism versus complimenting. I, I don't know if you've heard this, but a person needs to hear 10 good things, 10 compliments for every criticism. I want you to think about that. 10 good things for every criticism. And we do this with people that we, we know and people that we, we love. We tend to criticize. We, and so my question is, do you tear down or you, did, did you tear down or did you build up this week? And if you feel the Holy Spirit's conviction, you go and repent and say, hey, I'm sorry, and, and try to intentionally build up that person that you were tearing down. We've got to build one another up. There's enough tearing down in the world, amen? Last point, our relationship with Christ can produce in us a genuine concern for the interest of others. If I am considering you above me, and you're considering me above you, a marvelous thing happens. We have a community where everyone is looked up to, and no one is looked down upon. And Paul doesn't tell us that it's wrong to look for, out for our own interests, but only that we should look not only to our own interests and look to the interests of others. So let's pray together for God's help to do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for just these four 
powerful verses in the book of Philippians chapter 2. And Lord, we just acknowledge before you, uh, even as it says in the, in the memory verse that, that, that Tony read this morning, apart from you, we can do nothing. And Lord, apart from Christ working in us and working and changing us, Lord, we're going to do the same old, same old. We're going to be selfish. So Lord, we ask you to continue to change our hearts. Lord, that we would live out these verses, that we would be one. Lord, working as one, as a body. That we'd be contending for the faith as, as one man, for the faith of the gospel. And Lord, we continue to ask you uh, in this season of COVID-19 that you would continue to use us as your vessels of love in this community. To use us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, that we would we not only say the words and not only share the gospel with others, Lord, but we would share with our actions. As, as, as Brother Doug and Elder Doug and Monday Night Ministry team did it, 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 it last night, Lord, as they shared bag, bags of food with people that needed in our community, as they shared masks with people, and also shared the living word tracks on the mask so that they might find you, Jesus. We pray, Lord, even those listening today might find you. We thank you, Lord, for what you've been doing in our church, and we continue to ask you to build us up, to make us more like Jesus during this season. We look forward and continue to pray for that time when we can gather physically together again. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Here I am, down on my knees again, surrendering all, surrendering all. Find me here, Lord, as you draw me near, I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for you, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender. Drench my soul. And drench my soul as mercy and grace unfolds. I hunger and thirst. I hunger and thirst with arms stretched wide. With arms stretched wide, I know you hear my cry. Speak to me now. Speak to me now. I surrender. I surrender. I want to know you more. I don't know, know you more. I surrender. I surrender. I want to know you more. I want to know you more.
like a rushing wind Jesus breathe within Lord have your way Lord have your way in me like a riding storm stir within my soul Lord have your way Lord have your way in me like a rushing wind like a rushing wind Jesus breathe within Lord have your way Lord have your way in me like a mighty storm like a mighty storm stirred within my soul Lord have your way Lord have your way in me yeah. Yeah. oh Jesus you are the one for me like a Jesus breathe within Lord have your way Lord have your way in me Like a rushing wind Jesus breathe within Lord have your way Lord have your way in me I surrender, I surrender, I want to know you more, I want to know you more, I surrender, I surrender.